Welcome to The Real Work, a podcast about opening access to career success and workplace belonging for everyone. Presented to you by the team at Lantern Rouge. Through these community conversations, we want to learn and share how careers actually work and how we show up for each other in all manners of professions, unpacking the experiences that shape us and how we can each play a role in designing our future of work. Here is your host, Alex Lamb, an organizational psychologist and the chief executive of Lantern Rouge. My guest today is Vivian Story founder and CEO of Soul Story Soul. She is a Korean-Canadian entrepreneur now based in Ho Chi Minh City. Soul Story is a natural skincare company born out of Vivian's own chronic sinus complications and extremely sensitive skin. While she was living in New York City, she started experimenting with beauty products, nutrition and lifestyle, but she continued to suffer and after relocating to Southeast Asia, it just got worse. When she got the devastating news that her mum was diagnosed with breast cancer, she took her health into her own hands and started researching the products she was putting into her skin and therefore into her bloodstream. What she found was a cocktail of chemicals, not to mention the fact that most beauty products weren't inclusive for all skin types and climates. Now, as the founder of Soul Story Skincare, she's dedicated to dermatological safety and beauty results for a broader range of people. In this conversation, we talk about the grit and determination Vivian took from her early years and how that's impacting her business and founder journey. We talk about what led her to leave banking and move around the world, the role of intuition and passion in career decision-making, and why she chose to live in Vietnam. Her destination, determination, and character are clearly discernible here, giving you a look into the mind of a female entrepreneur. We can't wait to see where Soul Story goes next with Vivian at the helm. Enjoy the podcast. So welcome, Vivian. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Really. It's so, so fantastic to hear your, your backstory. Um, so our last guest was someone called Dr. Sophie Frost, and she's based in London. She's a researcher and an expert in digital, the role of digital in museums. We had a really great conversation about her career as, as an academic and as a researcher, um, and she gave some advice for me to pass on to you for this conversation. Oh, so okay. she said, go with the flow and embrace the journey. Those were her comments <laughs> from Sophie to you. Well, thank you, Sophie. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about your backstory. But first of all, my, my mind just goes to like, why Vietnam? What, what, what made this the place that you wanted to settle and start your business? Uh, well, back in 2008, when I was still in finance, I uh, took a month off and I uh, came to Southeast Asia. It was in the middle of winter and I um, fell in love with Vietnam. I was walking in, so I first landed in Ho Chi Minh City, and it took a few days to really understand the feeling I was um, experiencing. I felt comfortable. It was certainly, um, uh, you know, it's not a perfect place. Uh, It's a little gritty, but there's this heartbeat and vibration um, in the city that you can't really quantify, Mm. um, but it was a feeling that I was trying to figure out. And then a few few days later, I recognized that it was the same energy and enthusiasm that I had, that I felt growing up as a child um, in an immigrant community uh, back in Toronto, where yeah. our parents and family members were just 
working hard. Like they were mm. hustling. Um, and many of them had one or two jobs and going to school. And, you know, many of them were well-educated people who um, their education and skill sets were not considered, they were not, um, I guess, valid in Canada. So mm. they were going to night school and, and um, it was a really... Uh, interesting place to grow up and you know you don't realize like how poor you are and you just you know you're just a kid um, but our parents were working really hard and um, it was very diversified mm. and that kind of um, extends into uh, my brand with Soul Story how it was really important to make sure it was inclusive uh, for any skin type and skin complexion. And so when I, I came in 2008, I remember just, you know, by the end of the trip, I, I thought, oh, it would be such a dream to come here one day yeah. and live here. Um, I didn't have the confidence or the courage to take that big leap of faith. Um, and then, you know, after 10 years, I, I settled and I realized that you have to be really careful what you dream for because, or what you wish for. Because 10 Just years later, I was well, someone like you will make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> So it sounded like it just really resonated from a, a character and the people around you just having that energy of being proactive and, you know, as you said, hustling, but really working hard and working against the grain. I can see why that resonates from a, from a startup perspective, that kind of uh, yeah. energy around you. And I, there is a, um, like a, a, a familiarity uh, with Korea as well as Vietnam. Like they both went through a war. Yeah. Um, they were poverty stricken. Uh, people were starving. Uh, my family left a, a, like a war torn country and yeah. they were just so happy to get to Canada and go to school and, and um, you know, have an opportunity to prosper. Yeah. And um, Korea has come a long way and I feel the same energy and drive that's here in Vietnam. And there was no sense of entitlement because, I mean, there isn't a whole lot of resources to work with. Like you don't get social services or the basics. So you have to yeah. work really, really hard. Yeah. And rely on your yeah. family and rely on yourself to, to drive forward. And so tell us about growing yeah. up in Canada. It sounds like you had this consciousness, uh, growing consciousness of the, the immigrant experience and the, um, you know, and, and, and the, the, just the way you grew up. You, you mentioned that you, you maybe didn't have as much resource at the time, but it sounded like there was a lot of role modeling. <laughs> and t yeah, just tell me, what, what was that like? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm from, um, I was brought up from a single mom and my yeah. grandparents. So I, my brother and I were very fortunate. We had a lot of love. We didn't have a whole lot um, in terms of like, you know, toys or great vacations or anything like that. Our vacation was like, let's go to the summer um, amusement park. And, you know, there was like summer events and or like Central Island. You take a ferry to you know, the island off of the city. Yeah. <laughs> and but my family was, they really put strong values because they were, they were from a well-to-do family that lost everything. Um, and so my grandmother who, um, she, I remember her telling me things like, uh, what was it? <clears throat> Just because you're poor right now doesn't mean that this is your destiny. Mm. And she would say stuff like, you're really lucky you were born in Canada. You are, 
you have so much more opportunity than your mother did or I did. And so you're going to make the best of it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, she was like, learn how to cook. Like you're going to have to be a, like, who's going to marry you if you don't know how to cook. Mm. And so there was an optimism, but also some traditional elements to the message as well. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, look after your brother. You're the oldest. You have a responsibility. And then, you know, um, my cousins eventually came along and it was like, look after your cousins. And um, so there were, it was like traditional and then take it, take the opportunity and, you know, run with it. Mm. So it was a little confusing at times, um, but it was a really, um, I, I mean, I'm really proud to be Canadian. Mm. I um, I just, I, I love being Canadian, but I also, uh, love being Korean as well. Yeah, so my both. heritage, <laughs> yeah. And I was really fortunate to grow up in, uh, in a city where it's very multicultural. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> different religions, different, uh, nationalities, color complexions. It, it was, uh, it was a, a place where you know, you tried your best to assimilate and yet celebrate diversity. Yeah. C Canada, the mindset of Canadians is, is, um, admirable. I think it's, um, my, my dad was born in Canada my husband's Canadian you know, by default. My little boy is Canadian as well. I, I have my Canadian citizenship too. And despite not having lived or grown up there, I have this sense of the Canadian psyche. Like you're saying, there's a a celebration, but also a real, um, um, yeah, just recognition of, of the quality of diversity. I feel like they've completely <laughs> assimilated it into the, the national kind of, um, yeah, the national psyche. So it's, it's, it's what a lot of other countries and companies at the moment are actually, you know, aiming for. <laughs> Canada's yeah. achieved it. Um, but I, I, I really, I do have, um, a great appreciation for, uh, Canadian values. Um, and you see that when you're living abroad, which you have yourself and you see that with your husband and, um, and then hopefully with your son <laughs> as yeah. he gets older. And so I, I'm, I'm really proud of that part. And, um, but you know, growing up wasn't always easy. Like I started working when I was 10. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was quite what were you tall. doing? What was your first um, job? So my mom uh, was able to save up some money and she opened up a donut shop. It's very it Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was before the big coffee boom, like, you know, big cafes and all that. And so it was like, like the only coffee shop between two subway stops. So it was quite busy. Um, so I worked there like every day after school on the weekends, summer holidays and, and I knew by the time I was eight that we we were poor um, and that we need to get out of the situation that we were in. And the neighborhood that we were growing up was actually getting uh, quite uh, dangerous and um, mm. it was becoming quite challenging. And so uh, we, my mother worked every day for five years. We, we celebrated Christmas by a donut shop, like, you know, a full deep clean. And um, we were able to get out after a few years. Uh, my mom bought a house in a ni nice neighborhood. And it, my mom wanted to make sure that we got out of um, the, the area by the time we became teenagers, like a, right. before high school. Because mm. uh, she wanted us to have better influences and make it to university. 
Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I started really early in terms of learning how to uh, manage my time and juggle school and um, work. Um, and so I, and, and also manage money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that leads you into your first career in, in the finance sector. So how did that life, that, that story of growing up and being so dedicated and diligent, you know, how did that land you into the, that first phase of your career? So I, um, I didn't have any connections to get in to finance. And so I started off as a temp, like just, you know, going in as like a receptionist administrator. And um, I got hired after the third day. They really liked me. I was like a, a keener. I just, you know, I was like the first to, to get things done. And because I, I was really enthusiastic and um, I really liked the energy. I really wanted to be a part of it. And um, from there, I just worked my way up. And, um, and by the end, when I left, I was in, on a trading desk uh, doing institutional equity sales. And so um, it was a really incredible experience. I um, don't regret ever being in it. And it taught me uh, different skill sets and uh, also gave me a lot of confidence uh, to go out there and meet random people. And yeah. that's how I started Soul Story because I also didn't have any connection in uh, the beauty industry in Korea. But then, you know, through meeting people and with the help of some family members, I was able to, you know, knock on some doors and, yeah. and do my own due diligence, like research. That's a great story. It reminds me of um, this saying that says, like, a bird on a branch doesn't worry about the branch snapping because it trusts in its ability to fly. <laughs> and yeah. so because you worked out, I've got these skills to just make make hay, make things work. Um, maybe it's not just about the leg up or who you know or the, the, the perfect direct pathway because I can rely on my diligence or I can rely on my, my hard work. <laughs> You've yeah, definitely I, been able to demonstrate it. I, when I meet with younger people and they're like, you know, I want to start my own business, but I don't know how. And I tell them like, okay, well, you're working in a corporation learn as much as you can because there are going to be tasks or you're going to be working with people you not may not necessarily get along with or respect, but you're going to have to like develop skills and force yourself to um, cooperate and, and grow. And, and then with that, you can start your own business one day. Yeah. Yeah. And so what else did you feel like you took away from that, that phase of your career? You said confidence and this ability to work things out. What, what were the lessons that you particularly? Well, one of the biggest lessons I learned was I, um, and I think this is like a very uh, developed country or actually it applies in, in, uh, in the superficial world. And I thought that having nice things um, equaled happiness and having uh, promotions and having a certain um, career would equal happiness and um, wellness, and it it didn't it didn't mm. fulfill me. And um, initially, you know, like when you are able to buy nice things, because I was you know we grew up, I was I grew up underprivileged. I thought you know the first things I bought was like nice bedding. 
these towels. And, and it sounds ridiculous, but like these were things that I just, I wanted to have. <laughs> and yeah, then after symbolic. a while, yeah. And after a while, you know, the lyric subsided and I felt like there was more uh, that I was looking for that, that would fulfill, fulfill me. And it wasn't just about monetary or materialistic uh, mm. things around me. Uh, and I, and I wanted to, um, create something, um, that was healthier. And I, I'm, it's really interesting because someone would say like, you know, why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? I, I never even considered myself as like an entrepreneur when it, when I started soul story, I just, I got so involved and passionate about creating something that was healthy and, offering it to not just myself, but to the people around me and people who were, who wanted like a, a healthier lifestyle. Mm. Yeah. So you were really compelled and, and obviously we could hear from, from your bio, the personal journey that took you there. So it was less about the, the kind of entrepreneur's journey and more about f- fulfilling a need that you had for yourself that you could see would, would benefit other people as well. Um, exactly. So how, how did that tinker away in your mind in terms of getting to the point where you actually made the decision to leave the first chapter, move on to the next chapter? Can you talk us through, it sounds like you were just explaining there was a, there was a passion, there was an urge, there was a drive to be purposeful in what you were doing, but was there any logic or, you know, key moments that you can explain behind that? My health was deteriorating. Like I was, part of it was because I was so unhappy uh, and the stress of um, the environment that I was in. So uh, it just chipped away and then eventually like it really affected my immune system and I just wasn't able to um, bounce back as quickly. Mm. And uh, when I was, I remember when I was um, 15, 16, I really wanted to get into uh, interior design. Like Mm. I really like arts and I find it like a very therapeutic and, Um, I I had an opportunity to go uh, to New York and uh, go to Parsons for uh, interior design. And I fulfilled that dream as an adult. And during that time, I had um, some, I allocated a lot of my time to eating healthy, clean eating, um, you know, exercising, being active. And still I was you know, struggling with my sinus and sensitivity. And, um, and then at the time I was in a relationship. And so uh, we decided after New York and after my schooling um, that we were going to take some time off and start a family. And uh, Southeast Asia seemed like a good place. You know, we were both tired of um, winter. (laughs) 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 We're like, okay, we're done with winter. Uh, and I also want to um, get closer to my heritage, mm. just understand. It was a little confusing at times uh, growing up uh, in an immigrant uh, household where I had these like very old traditional uh, values of how to be as a woman, mm. you know, be nurturing, be like, be motherly. And then at the same time, it's like, be strong, be independent, yeah. you know, be tough. Um and it was, so it's like, how do I have that balance between how do the you two? Be both? Mm. Uh, and so that's, that was a struggle, but I, I really wanted to understand the root of, you know, these like really strong values that I had that I couldn't shake. 
And then when I, I got to Asia and obviously Korea had winter. So I was like, not going there. Um, we, I, you know, spent time in um, Thailand. I didn't really like it. So uh, it's a beautiful country, but it wasn't a good fit for me. And I started spending more time in Korea and I discovered skincare and it was so much gentle on my skin. Like I wasn't having the same effects and uh, I just started my personality is just, I start researching all the different ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then I, I um, want to start selling the uh, products in uh, Thailand and actually all over Southeast Asia. And because I was confident and I thought, well, I'm just going to have meetings with these big corporations and I would actually get in and they'd be like, all right, you're, you're here. And I'd be like, I want to sell your you know, products, but can you reformulate them? Uh, and uh, I don't want these ingredients in it. And they're like, mm. uh, well, how much are you willing to order? <laughs> like, we'll start with 5,000. And they're like, mm, no. <laughs> and so then I realized I would have to do it on my own. Right. Yeah. And so I locked myself up in um, the guest room and I just... I slept with the laptop literally beside me and every like three, four hours I would get up and start working away. And I did uh, research on 342 companies initially wow. and I narrowed it down to 50 and then 12. And um, then I did my due diligence. I, I flew to Korea and I um, met with them and I went to the facilities. I had no idea. I just only read up of what I could do. And I talked to as many people as I could possibly you know, speak to. And then I just like figured it out. And then I realized in the end that there are certain standards. Um, it's called CGMP, Certified Good Manufacturing Practice. And there's less than 50 companies that have that in Korea. And there's about 5,000 cosmetic companies <laughs> in Korea. And I was like, if I didn't have to do 342, you know. Yeah, but you don't know that at the outset. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I have a, a clearly, I have a better understanding what I'm doing. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was, it was such a, it was a new industry. Um, and for me, it wasn't about having white skin. You know, it was about having healthier skin. And when you are feeling healthy and you look healthy, you're more confident, and then you could go about your day and also pursue your dreams. Yeah. Oh, it's, literally how you face the world isn't it so interesting so it sounds like you had already made the decision to leave finance and there was the there was the winter piece there was the family piece the relationship piece um and it was so it, it, that's when you landed in southeast asia and that's when you landed on skincare as a in terms of the order of events is that right exactly yeah okay and then you went really deep so so now, how long has it been since you've been since you've started Soul Story? So I started uh, back in 2014, like uh, at the end of 2014, and then I launched in 2015, uh, and then we rebranded um, and launched in 2018, um, and and then the first uh, product with under Soul Story, um, Soul was uh, Sun Warrior sunscreen. Um, Fantastic. And, yeah. Yeah. So. The goal was basically to make sure that these products were going to be suitable for this type of climate where it's hot, humid, um, and we 
experience rainy season. Uh, a lot of the formulations I felt were factoring in four seasons. So, you know, winter. So uh, quite a few products that I was using before uh, arriving to um, Southeast Asia were quite heavy and thick. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't suitable and it was frustrating. And obviously sunscreen is essential for uh, anyone, anywhere, really. Even if you're working indoors, if, you, if there's a window, <clears throat> you need uh, protection from mm -hmm. UVA rays, which causes about 90% of signs of aging and also protects you from cancer, like you know, mm -hmm. skin yeah. cancer. Yeah. And so now that you're these several years in, and I, I assume, you know, the entrepreneur's journey, you can never sum it up. <laughs> or maybe you can, you know, towards the, the, the next couple of decades when you're reflecting back on it. But are there any major moments or, or sort of critical, um, uh, critical experiences in this entrepreneur's journey where you've thought, oh, am I on the right track? Or you've questioned, <laughs> am I doing the right thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, a Definitely this year, uh, yeah. during uh, the lockdown, the first wave that we experienced. Um, we're, Vietnam's actually uh, doing quite well. Um, uh, we have actually 21 days, I just saw it this morning, 21 consecutive days of no new cases. Yeah. So you're uh, almost I mean, we, mm, out of yeah, the woods. So, yes, for now. Mm. Um, and I, I guess, you know, the country works collectively to, you know, we follow the rules. It was hard initially. And even I thought that the country was overreacting by, you know, shutting down the schools so early. Um, this is like early this year. And, but they clearly did the right things mm. to um, help the country. So during the first lockdown, I, I sat there thinking, my God, <laughs> what have I done? How did it impact you? I mean, beyond being locked down, what, what did you see in terms of sales or digital yeah, so sales, conversations? Mm. Sales went down um, during the lockdown and uh, we were close to pre-COVID levels back in July. But then at the end of July, there was a second wave that came out, uh, that came about and, and that, and then we got hit hard again in August. And so it's hard, it's hard to raise capital like this year I was it was a year that I want to raise capital and mm -hmm. that's on hold uh, and obviously uh, I'm not reach I'm not meeting the targets the goals for 2020 uh, and that was disheartening for me um, and I only in the last few weeks have accepted uh, what is it is what it is mm. uh, but I'm finding new ways and um yeah just yeah juggling. yeah completely understand I think it, it's everybody's seeing it in different um I mean unless you're selling work from home office furniture or something that's become a boom sector it's um I think a lot of consumers are probably just taking a wait and see approach of <laughs> how do I not knowing what comes out how do I be maybe a bit conservative with the spending so anything that's discretionary or more um, luxury space, I, I think has probably been, you know, part of the consideration for people. Can you tell us about your, your consumers? Like where are they based and who are they? So, uh, majority of my uh, customers are, so Soul Story is available in Korea, 
Thailand, Singapore, and Vietnam, um, okay. and in Canada as well, uh, but not not officially. Um, and just through through your family's, uh, <laughs> yeah, like they or, they are, yeah. they look after the shipping and because um, we do get orders in Canada and the U.S. Uh, and it's interesting because I think that. It, even though it's expensive to operate in North America, there's definitely a bigger um, spending power. And uh, and in Vietnam, they're catching up, like they're getting there. Like, you know, people start by eating organic food or healthier food options, and then they'll get into personal care and skincare, but they're not there yet, not, not everyone. Um, and then, of course, you know, um, the wealthy, they want the luxury products, even mm-hmm. though it may not work on their skin. They believe like that's what's important where, um, you know, the more mature markets, they understand that it's not just, you know, the luxury brands that it's going to, you know, make your skin healthy or better. Uh, so you they're much more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and also like people who don't really necessarily care about whitening, like I don't, my products are not about whitening it's about you know brightening and anti-aging and providing um a good like skin moisture and um protecting your skin barrier Mm -hmm. Uh, so my customers are the main focus because you know i've been focusing on vietnam is our vietnamese women okay and um and then the expat community Hmm. and that's okay you mostly can't travel are you selling online through your own um, website or are you retailing? Yeah. How, yeah, how so, yeah. So most of it is online. Most mm-hmm. of our sales are online. Um, most of our marketing is online. So that's great. Um, but unfortunately with, uh, you know, people being concerned about their uh, jobs or the uncertainty of the future, they've cut back um, yeah. on spending. So that that's where it's, it's been, a you know, hard. Yeah. No, exactly. And yeah, I mean, we can only hope and trust. I think that, that it, it, it rebounds as people get more certainty in their, in their jobs and their surroundings and, and the media that the the news that they're getting as well. So you mentioned how this impacts your uh, ability to raise, you know, in terms of demonstrating the, the sales traction. Um, but I assume as well, in terms of just the capital and the conversations that investors are willing to have in the market at the moment too. So what are you finding um, or what were you finding when you were intending to raise this year in terms of, I guess, like the, the process, the ease of conversations, the, the, the receptiveness from, from, from investors? Well, uh, in what I've noticed in Southeast Asia, I'm, I'm, I mean, you're in uh, California, so it's very tech driven. Um, a lot of investors are interested in tech-oriented um, companies, mm. and my uh, business is clearly not tech. I mean, we're involved in uh, online uh, selling, uh, but it's not an e-commerce uh, third-party website um, and business. And so that's one of the challenges that I had, um, and so they're looking for growth that's just not, it just doesn't happen with health and beauty, mm. <laughs> wellness. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's, that's challenging. Uh, the other thing was, I mean, being a female founder and we all know the data and I, I'm, I mean, it's, 
I'm happy to be a female and I'm, I'm, you know, I celebrate it every day, yeah. uh, but uh, to be a female founder and to raise capital is, is hard. It's challenging and the data supports it. And um, I don't know if it would be easier if I had a co-founder that was a, a, a male, um, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it would have been a little easier. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're all speaking about it and pointing it out as an obvious, as you say, the data plays it out. And I even saw um, DocSend, one of the online, you know, uh, tools where you can upload your your deck and, and you send it to the to the VC, and you can see which slides are they stopping on and how long do they spend on each side. They actually have the data now to show that across all the decks that are sent through DocSend as soon as the viewer sees that it's female founder, that they just stop looking. So it's, to me, I mean, there's all this rhetoric in the market about we need to support female founders. Here's the, here's the return on their businesses. Here's how better run they are as, as businesses, uh, you know, which, which may or may not be, be true, but there's so much emphasis. And yet when the facts play it out, it really just makes me question. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts because For our business, I realized that the way that we started our business, uh, because we started with services, we started in Southeast Asia, all of these things just weren't VC friendly. It wasn't what they were looking for. (laughs) And so if I was starting a business designed to get VC funding, then I would have started it another way. But because I started the business that I wanted to run and the contribution that we knew we could make in the market, and then we retroactively went out to try to find funding and realized, okay, even though we have a HR tech product, we've still got services wrapped around it. And so there's, there's, you know, some hesitation out there. Um, So I don't know that it's that VCs aren't willing to invest in female founded businesses. I think it's that the type of businesses that we want to run (laughs) are clashing against the type of financing that they want to do. So I don't know if you've got any reflections on that from your experience. Well, that's definitely the case. Mm. Um, You know, when, when you meet with the potential investors and especially if they have like a tech background, they, they are looking and they're expecting the type of growth. Uh, that technology, if they succeed, uh, would provide. Um, and they are looking for these unicorns. The brand, the products are unicorns to me, but not to a VC standard. So yeah. it's, it's so fun. It's amplified even more so here in, in San Francisco. It's like even angel investors are looking for unicorns. And you're like, come on, seriously, like, I, I want to run a great business. Yes, we want to grow. Heaven forbid we get to that size, you know, but where does it come from being profitable and, and having a good, you know, a contribution to the to the community and to society and to employing people? Obviously, the VCs aren't a, um, a charity, so you're not expecting to run a business that doesn't create returns. But I think there's now this expectation that just – you know how many businesses can actually get to that status yeah <laughs> so yeah. um yeah it's kind of disheartening and so so what's your approach then are you thinking okay pause get through however long this period is refocus on your sales and then reconsider going out for funding or have you decided to take a different approach i'm i um 
well, the plan to expand uh, is on hold, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I uh, actually, in the last few weeks, I've been, I'm reevaluating. I'm still making some decisions, like big decisions. Uh, and I'm not. I don't want to give up. Like bottom line, I'm not going to give up. So yeah. I'm going to uh, stay afloat. Um, I'm going to continue what I'm doing, and I have uh, just really rather than um, putting big capital into marketing, I'm just doing more um, in-house marketing. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and and just, and I think that also understanding the market. So uh, people are concerned about spending. uh, So I'm, you know, working on finding, I mean, I also have like at home, do it yourself, uh, facial exercises that are, you know, yoga facial exercises mm-hmm. and cool. uh, natural remedies to help with uh, acne breakouts. You know, for for example, like there, there's like a, a term, uh, macne or even masne, uh, acne caused by wearing face masks. Wearing face masks mm-hmm. is something that we need to do to get through this pandemic, uh, but it's causing havoc on our skin. So, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we're sharing uh-huh. tips and ideas um, and these are things that I'm, I'm trying to do. So it's like, I'm going to continue adding value uh, to my, my community and uh, cut back on yeah, a whole lot. It down. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Not knowing and where really, the finish line is either. It's um, I think it, you, you have to, and, and just hearing the story that brought you to here, you had so many inspired moments where you just, you had that rush of energy and you went deep and you were sleeping with your laptop and et cetera, et cetera. To, to give up at a moment like this is like everything's brought you to this moment, all those inspired experiences. So I, I like to hear the fact that you're just bunkering down. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, as entrepreneurs, as um, business owners, you understand that when you go in, you are taking on risk and yeah. obviously you've made the decision that you are going to take on these risks and you're going to move forward. But and then you hear in the background, okay, there could be like a pandemic, um, but because we never experienced it before, we're like, okay, in the background, it could possibly happen, and we're, but we're not going to just sit on our hands and just wait for it to happen, and then, voila, you know, yeah. <laughs> twenty twenty, yeah, um, and, and so it's just another added risk that we were not prepared for. Um, I wasn't for sure. Um, and then I've just, I don't learned, think you're alone. <laughs> I've just learned yeah. to, with my team, um, to just, yeah, continue. Yeah. Keep yeah. going. Keep and going. so where are you getting your energy from at a moment like this? How do you restore or take care uh, well, of yourself? So I've been really, um, you know, I'm, I'm really big on like, so part of this whole health and wellness journey. And I know it's been quite popular with the, the whole phrase of health and wellness, but um, I believe there's like four pillars when it comes to our overall health. So one is obviously, you know, what we eat. And uh, so I'm eating as clean as possible. And, uh, and then the other thing would be like a fitness. Uh, the third would be mental health. So mm-hmm. meditation, uh, just trying to be more self-aware 
you yeah. know, if I, if I have a negative thought, I'm like, wait a minute, no, we're not going there. Like bring it back. Um, and so that's something that has been a little consuming because there are a lot of negative thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> on it. It's a lot of work um, and, to catch each one. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, as especially, you know, growing up in an immigrant household where you don't get praised like you, there's, and then there are a lot of negative drivers. So, you know, I, I'm guilty of it where I will put myself down and then I'm like, no, that is not going to help me right now. Yeah. Um, that stuff doesn't work. So let's bring it back. Um, so meditation, healthy mindset. Um, and then just staying away from people that are negative. Like if they yeah. are, yeah, I just, I need to be really, really mindful of who, um, are around me. Yeah. And, uh, the fourth thing would be obviously, uh, what we use. So personal care and skincare, which I've been doing, so that hasn't changed. So these four pillars are essential for our overall health. And, and so I've been really uh, trying to be as healthy and um, mindful in terms of, of who I am and what I'm doing on mm. a day-to-day. I like um, hearing that you've actually got those four pillars because there's a little bit more of a, I mean, simple and elegant and beautiful in the way that you put them together. But it's a, it's a framework for saying, okay, which of my pillars needs a little bit of reinforcement right now and <laughs> which one is shorter than the others or, you know, not as strong as the others. And, and I do think moments like this, if you've been building those pillars before we got to these moments, then at least you know where your resources are. Whereas I think a lot of people have come into these, you know, troubling times without that kind of framework or without the resources, they're now trying to scramble to work it out or just to move through. So how did you come across the four pillars? Was that something you thought of yourself? Did you read about it or, or is this through experience? Um, I, it's, I, I learned along the way uh, because I realized um, what my lifestyle and um, like it wasn't sustainable back 10 years ago mm. and I had to make some changes and I did. I made drastic changes and then obviously the first thing is fitness. Um, and there's more to than just doing yoga and um, being fit. Uh, and so I realized, okay, that clearly is not going to solve all my health problems. <laughs> and so then, you know, I got into meditation, like mindful meditation and um, learning and then getting into therapy and, and understanding the root of my problems mm. and, you know, working it through. Um, and you know, we're all working progress. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other part would be, you know, our diet. So I, I, I say, yes, the products are great, but also like, if you're not a vegetarian, have more broth soup. It's great. Like not just over like for your immune system, but also for producing collagen, um, the type of you can get vegan collagen now too. Did you know that's one of the most Googled uh, things on Google? It's a it's a trending topic on Google at the moment is vegan collagen. So oh, I did not know that. Vegan I need drugs, to inquire yeah. about it. Okay, um, and then like um, yeah, just eating healthier foods, like rich uh, foods that are um, nutritional and uh, helps with our immune system, and all that will help with our skin and mm-hmm. our mood. And cutting back on uh, sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have cut system. back on coffee, but 
you know, I love coffee. Like I'm just drinking that right now because yeah. it's my morning. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, these things, I, I think I, it was like a evolved because I realized that it wasn't just one that was going to be sustainable. I needed those four. Yeah. It's a total system, isn't it? You're right. And the reason I ask is like, we do a lot of work in corporates where, you know, senior leaders are saying, okay, here's the, and and it's natural, even with the best practices, we're all under extraordinary times right now. So um, the most mindful, healthy, fit person could still, you know, stumble. Um, But, but definitely like we're finding ourselves having these conversations of how are you sleeping? What is your sleep hygiene? Are you putting yourself to bed? (laughs) You know, do you have a, three exercise moments a week or like, you know, at at a minimum. And, and it feels in some ways kind of, you know, motherly or something. It it doesn't sound, it doesn't come across the right way in a corporate environment, but yet you know that it just comes so much back to, do you have those fundamental balance points in your life? Because no amount of business strategy or education sitting over the top of that is going to help you if you just didn't eat your, you know, breakfast. <laughs> it's a <laughs> yeah, and I I also think that it's important um, as business owners. Like, um, we need to, like for me at least. Like, my identity, my whole life has been my business. Yeah, and I realized during the pandemic that I am more than just my business. Mm. And um, when people ask me now, it's like, well, how are you? It's like, well, personally, I'm doing well, and I am. You know, I'm healthy. My family and friends are healthy. My friends' families are healthy. We're, we're getting through this. Some people are, are having more difficulties than others, but overall, we're all alive and we're healthy and safe and uh, no one's starving or homeless. And so, yes, I am well. Yeah. Um, business, on the other hand, is another story. And so, yeah. you know, that's another thing where my identity is not just soul story. It's Vivian, like, Mm. and my tribe, my family, my friends. And, um, so I just, I have to be extremely grateful. Such an important lesson. Yeah. Because you're right. You can get enmeshed so easily, especially when I reflect the fact that you have your family name in your business name. So there is a, there is a meshing of identity there, but do you think there's any element of like your, your family heritage and the story of like, you know, this is just a moment in time. <laughs> you're, you're, as you said, your, your grandmother said to you, you're poor right now, but that's not your future. Like maybe that's a really nice seedling that's somehow like planted in you. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, it, I, <laughs> it's a, I don't know how to phrase it the best way. Um, but at least for me, and I have a few um, childhood friends that have always said that I have never taken the easiest route mm. in life. And, um, and it, things have worked out because I've taken that leap of faith and risk and, um, and I wasn't afraid of hard work. And, um, and I feel like this is part of this journey. Um, yeah. And I know that in the end, as long as I give it 110%, even during the days where it's just, it looks very bleak. Um, I know that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I will be okay. Yeah. I like that as a mantra. I might, 
steal it. I also have a belief that I will be okay. It just, um, you sit there at the moment and you're like, oh, I wish this moment would hurry up and pass. <laughs> and people say like, you know, oh, we just have to get to 2020. But then I realize, actually, you know what? 2021's not going to, it's not looking that promising either. No, there's no magic line. I realized the, the other day with my sister as well, I was thinking, I just can't wait. And she said, you know, nothing happens when the clock strikes midnight. It's not going to automatically be like, oh, that's year's done. Like, I think that is a challenge. We don't know where the finish line is of this and it's probably going to be a graduation out. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm laughing because um, the other day I was like, I don't know why I keep saying I can't wait until 2020 is over because I think that in January I'm... You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, stop saying that. There is no yeah. finish line. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. And it, it, it mentally is, um, I mean, it's a false finish line, which gives you false hope. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, and I think of my mom, like she, yeah. she was on her own with two children in, um, in a foreign country. None of her education was relevant. Um, so she persevered and she's, yeah. she's done well for herself. And uh, through her hard work and her her, her will, um, and she had plans, and those yeah. plans didn't work out the way yeah. she thought, but it worked out in a different way. And yeah. I have, and I feel that you know, I am controlling. I am controlling of my business, and yet I know that there's things that I cannot control, and so if this is not going to work out, something else will. Yeah. Um, but so until long as then, you keep putting the effort in. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing to mention your mom. It, it does sound like there's so much role modeling that you have from your family. So when it comes to being a, a founder, who, who do you look up to from a business perspective? Do you have any mentors or other female founders around you or founders in general that you can learn from? Um, I'm actually, that's one of the, um, aside from raising capital, um, having a female founder, uh, a mentor, uh, would have been wonderful to have, mm. especially in the um, beauty, um, health and wellness space. Unfortunately, I don't really have one. Um, but I do have, um, a very, uh, wonderful group of, um, other, uh, female founders, uh, that I have met along the way and just really good people like just mm. solid friends and um and that's you know something that i'm i have a great appreciation for over the last um five years how fortunate um i've been because I've, I've made some drastic lifestyle changes over the years and so along that journey i've had really great support from um a community of women and there, there are many of them are on their second or third act. So mm. they're, you know, they've worked for big corporations. They, they're done. They want to start something on their own. Yeah. And we're all, you know, in the same different industries, different stages, but all in the same um, boat, I guess. Yeah. And what is the boat? What do you think is driving that tribe? Ooh, determination, passion, mm. um, I, I striving for something better. Like we're all, mm. uh, there isn't one person that I know that's not contributing um, 
by adding value to society. You know, we are in our own way providing value added. Mm. And so do you think there's, is there something about those big corporates? You know, if you say there's this trend of these self-determined, driven, passionate women who are making societal contributions and they just got fed up with a corporate wherever they were, is there something about traditional business structures that just don't work for that kind of inspired woman? Like, could you see any way that those women would, would be making their contributions if they're still inside a big business or is it, is it actually part of having a breakout for them to really fulfill their contribution? I think that, I mean, we are seeing that right now where a lot of people are are forced to work at home because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, during the lockdown, um, and then companies have realized that uh, employees' productivity levels are higher when they're not, um, you know, punching in the clock and punching out and um, showing up to the office. And, you know, one of my biggest challenge for me was the work environment. I found mm-hmm. it really challenging. Um, the stress was more the work environment than the, the job. Like the job itself was quite stressful, but mm-hmm. it was manageable because it was rewarding and satisfying. Um, and so I, I think that there is a part of it. And if you're not good at office politics, like I'm, I'm not a good politician, you know, what you see is what you're going to get. Um, and I'm authentic, so I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat things, and I'm not I'm not I'm also excuse my language. I'm, I don't know if I could say it, but I don't Go kiss ahead. ass. Mm. I just don't kiss ass, and so I think there are certain people's personalities and characteristics where if you don't, if you're not a good politician, you just won't succeed. Even though mm. you're smart and you have good skill sets, you just don't succeed. And it's also the type of industry you're in. Right. As a woman, like if you're in finance or even like in the science and R&D side, it is challenging um, because there's not enough of them. Yeah. And so you're yeah. always forging. And, and I always think of that in the like in, in the, the most recent desk that you had before you wrapped up your finance career. Who was around you when you looked to the left and to the right? Were there other women there or were you in a? There were a few. Mm. Um, there weren't a, a lot. Um, and. And they were, and that was another thing. Like I didn't have the most positive experience working with other women Mm. uh, in finance. I I mean, I I made some wonderful friends that I'm still friends with, but many of them were pretty um, competitive. Uh, They saw each other as threats as opposed to like helping each other, having each other's back. Mm. Um, So that was quite frustrating and disappointing. And, um, and so I want to make sure that whatever I was doing in my next, you know, I guess my next chapter, which I'm in right now, was going to be uh, gender friendly. Yeah. And not just, you know, I, I'm not, a, I wanted to make sure that I was going to be fair to women and men. And um, my, I have a, a good friend who's now a co-founder and an advisor for Soul Story, but she's a co-founder for uh, the Beehive pop-ups in Saigon and we together uh, organized these pop-ups because we both needed, um, we didn't want a brick and mortar um, store, Mm. uh, but we wanted to market our products so that more people had access to it. And so we did like a pop-up, we asked three other female founders and we had this really great turnout, like about 70 
I think there was close to a hundred people at my, uh, Julie's place. And it was like, yeah. And then other women who were, you know, had their own businesses want to be a part of it. And now we host them. Like now it's this year, we've only had one because of the COVID uh, between the first wave and the second wave. Um, we're a little hesitant to do the uh, second one because we don't know when the third wave is going to happen. <laughs> um, and so and we just don't want anyone to be infected at one of yeah. our events. It would just, yeah. and, and then to have critical health issues, it would be very disheartening. No, you'd hate to be the source of it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but it's so interesting to hear because like what you're sort of explaining, and this is my way of thinking about it is, if we're saying these female founders, those traditional big businesses, whatever it was about the infrastructure just didn't work for them. And so they've broken out. But what I hear you saying is that actually where we female founders are recreating a new structure, it might not be this formal formalized institution, so to speak, in terms of a, a business entity, but you are getting together with other women and creating moments and networks and ways of doing business that that work for you. And so it's a, and you're using the word pop-up, you know, that might be the way to explain it, but actually there's, sounds like there's a whole, there's more, more than just the pop-up moment. (laughs) And there's a lot happening around that. A community. Yeah. And we, and we also want to make sure that we were going to uh, have it diversified. So it's like, we want local women who are um, Vietnamese, uh, local Mm -hmm. women, and then also uh, international people who are from abroad, like myself. And we, you know, try to keep it 50-50 and, um, yeah, we want to make sure that we could help, help each other out. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. So good to hear. I'm glad that I know you now as well. I consider you part of my, <laughs> although I can't join the pop-ups in Vietnam, but I, I'd love to be a part of the community. As you said, some, I don't know. And maybe that's part of the COVID innovation is how these things become digital as well. And, uh, well, yeah. And, and, and I hope that the it's an opportunity for corporations to reevaluate, reassess, and and decide like, do we need that traditional um, culture where you you go into an office space and then like how much of it is wasted? And it's not just time; it's energy, like people's yeah. energy. Uh, and and you know, over the years, people are talking about like you know being organized and managing your time. But for me, I realize I can work long hours it's managing energy you know where am I allocating my energy and um I'm I'm being much more mindful about that and so Mm. um I I, so hopefully it'll make it easier so people don't leave and and they you know they could be part of a corporation and um in a bigger team yeah but in a different way rethinking it redesigning it and it's not just the physicality of it as you say it's like how do people use their energy, but how do they come together and come apart when, yeah, it's more dynamic. I think I still hear a lot of people clinging to, um, you know, when I'm there in the office, I can build rapport. I can bump into people in the hallway. I can go out for a coffee and those things exist for sure. Like there's, you know, you can't beat seeing someone in person, can you? But this concept of needing to be physically parked there all the time and turn up at a moment and leave at a moment <laughs> just seems somehow juvenile to me now. I look back at it and I think, <laughs> um, and I, I get it why organisation, you know, you're in a contract with an organisation, so of course they want to know where you are and what you're doing. Um, 
so I think that we're going to see this shift to, yes, maybe more dynamic ways of people working and coming in and out, but maybe like a rebalancing of how the surveillance, so to speak, works, or how the visibility yeah. <laughs> works. Of yeah. yeah, and that that'll be a new. You know, we've been talking about warehouse employees having wearables, so that company knows, you know, how much distance are you doing, and how often are you working and packing boxes and whatnot. But now, like for knowledge workers, to start thinking that they're being observed and tracked and, and monitored for productivity as well is somehow scary or offensive it's coming up in some of our conversations and um so I think people are willing they're wanting to work from home but not willing to give up the privacy that they felt they had even though they were sitting in the office (laughs) so it's a strange strange new mashup well it's interesting how like um the whole concept of technology you know it initially started um because it was supposed to help us um but is it really I mean it is I mean for, for example, I would have never been able to start my own brand if I didn't have social media. Mm. I didn't even open up a, a Facebook account until 2012. Like, <laughs> um, I was a, a late bloomer <laughs> when it came to <laughs> a personal media. one. I think that's when I stopped using it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, coming to Vietnam, everyone uses Facebook. It's yeah. essential. And so for me to stay in touch with people and grow my business, it's through Facebook. And I just think I thought it was funny how I was like, wow, you know, things that I wasn't really comfortable um, being a part of, I am now full on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And like, you know, I I never really liked to be the face of the brand. I I tried really hard initially not to be the face of the brand, but then realized that I have to because I need to share my passion. I need people to understand why it's available and what it does and how it adds benefits into yeah. someone's overall well-being. And, um, you know, I've hired people like KOLs, people talk about influencers, and they're wonderful. I've had some really incredible influencers uh, work with Soul Story, but it's just the message, the consistent message is not, you know. Yeah, no one's going to represent it the way you do. Mm. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, with that whole technology part and tracking and I guess the whole AI, um, it, it's like a double-edged sword. Oh, for sure. So much advantage and so much to think about ethically and personally. And yeah, that's a, that's the next wave. Let's see. Yeah, <laughs> Let's see what happens. It, it is. And, but it's also humbling, like this whole pandemic has been humbling because, you know, we're always trying to find better ways, faster ways, quicker ways, you know? Um, but in actual fact, like humanity, we're fragile. Oh, completely. And so many people say, you know, COVID's forced the digital transformation that people have been talking about for, for years and, and decades. But I actually think it's, um, it's created like a polarization of people wanting to double down on, technologies and efficiencies so that they can do their work but a real reinvestment in the things that make us human friendships family as you say health I I just think people are so much more conscious of you know can I live this way can I work this way is it worth it should I be even you know whereas before they might have been one foot in front of the other plodding through whichever way they kind of landed it was this big reset of no actually I I'm a human and (laughs) I can't work 22 hours a day, you know, boss, or I can't, you know, so it's, 
I, I you, you mentioned the word silver linings, I think, before. I, I hope that this is the silver lining that comes out of it is, yes, we have better technology for the things that we want to be convenient and we get to be more human as well. Yes. But yeah. Let's see. That might be yeah. my best of both worlds, uh, fictional it's, thinking. <laughs> it's, it's positive too. It's positive and, um, and we need that. Wherever we could have a positive attitude not blind not naive blind positive attitude but realistic ones yeah um yeah those those are essential especially choice yeah yeah and actually that's a very good point there choice you know we could choose to to make the best of the situations yeah and uh sometimes you the situation is not great (laughs) but you got to make the best of it yeah. I'm laughing. Like my laugh is sort of like, what else am I going to cry? I'm not going to cry about it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, it's the only choice you do have because we can't choose to, you know, it kind of riffs on this idea you were saying before about control. Like, we can't control a whole hell of a lot at the moment, <laughs> but control the controllables. The one thing you can control is your outlook and your, yes. as you said, being realistic, understanding the risks, but also choosing to be positive. Like, in a world where everything else is taken and look, as you've pointed out, we have our family, we have our health, there's there, you know, you have to remember how important the things are that we do have. So I don't also want to sound like, um, you know, the, the desperation is somehow, you know, of an order of magnitude, but, but, you know, you have those moments when you think <laughs> what else could happen this, this year just can't get any worse. The only thing I can do is choose to, you know, take control and that's there's a lot of research around that from the um from the Auschwitz concentration camps actually if like the people who survived and I know that sounds very morbid but people who survived and there was one one doctor in particular called um Dr Frankel who was a psychologist and he was able to observe the people in the camps and think about it from a personality and a character and an outlook perspective and, and he was able to journal on his life experience of, you know, being incredibly emaciated and, and dehumanised and coming through it to the other side and saying the people who survived were the people who chose within their mind that there was nothing that anyone could do to hurt them, you know. In, even in a horrible situation like that when you hurt my body and you, you know, kill my belief in humanity, you can't you don't know what I'm saying to myself in the deepest, darkest part of my mind. And so that's where I have a choice. That's where I have agency and I can, you know, I can prosper in my own mind. So uh, I think if he can do that, then little old me in my, <laughs> my work from home situ <laughs> can do it as well. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's, um, it's interesting when, um, when we all started to stay home and in the lockdown and, uh, it made you realize how um, how how much we relied on, on outside sources to keep us distracted yeah. and stimulation. Um, mm. Yes, and then it was like going back to basics. Like, um, did yeah. you ever watch Little House on the Prairies? Uh, yeah, years ago. With um, yeah, maybe I'm getting it mixed up with. Um, the medicine woman, <laughs> but I think I have, yeah. But it's, it's similar. And it, I felt like, wow, this is what it's like, huh? With that, I mean, thank God we have air conditioning, like electricity, but 
it was like six o'clock. I was done work. I was, I couldn't work anymore. And I was, I was like, so what's next? Yeah. <laughs> but have you re-entered? Cause we're still in pretty much lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. So I've like been out to the mall once or twice and I go back in and I feel like I'm having this sensory overload because I'm just not used to it. And then the malls aren't busy. Everybody has their face masks on. So it's a, it's not what we're used to there. But even for me now, it feels like this real, whoa, who are all these people? What are they doing? Things are moving fast. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I have to re-enter society now. <laughs> yeah, we went through that um, back in end of April, May. Mm. Uh, when things started opening up, um, I was pretty risk averse initially. Um, even when I came back from um, the Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, mm. uh, and I was so thankful that I actually had a chance to go to Toronto. And I almost like re- wanted to reschedule and, and tell them that I was going to come and visit them in June. Um, and I came back, and I was ju- I just bunkered down. Like I just I would I only went to meetings that were work related, and anything else I was like. I'll see you after this is over, but obviously it's not over. Yeah. Um, and uh, people here were pretty diligent. Like even if they didn't like it, you have to do it. So uh, we've been fortunate enough that we were able to open up and we're still operating. And um, but it, it, this whole pandemic is also a realization of how globalization, the impact. Like you cannot. Yeah, it's not singular. It's a ripple effect and completely um, yeah and how and it makes so... things like tax and borders and visas it makes them all seem so arbitrary now because like, you do realize that all of those things are imaginary of um some kind of line where you know the virus doesn't care it crosses it without question so <laughs> yeah it, they don't discriminate that's for sure the virus that's does not exactly, discriminate yeah yeah so I would love to wrap up and I'm just so conscious okay. of your time, but I've really enjoyed just discussing and, and just hearing from, from the heart of a fellow female founder. It's, it's a, it's not an easy journey and just hearing and reflecting on your story. It's, um, I actually feel like there's, there's, there's a toughness to us, to our tribe. <laughs> um, and some battle scars, I would definitely say. None of us come through unscathed. But I do definitely believe that there's we're forging something new. It's almost like there's a new um, a new sector, a new concept, a new way of like it, it is there is a pioneering element to this and there's always a some kind of you know detriment of being a pioneer. <laughs> um being that I, I hope that the female founders who come after us, you know, have, have at least one more pavement piece <laughs> in their, in their pathway. So silver lining again. So I'd love to ask you these rapid fire questions. Um, okay. How many the biggest win I've had in my career so far was. Launching soul story soul. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Definitely a win. <laughs> yeah. I do my best work when. I'm healthy. And when I'm healthy, yeah. Yeah. Mentally, physically, emotionally, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And do you call that balance? I know I hear different people who have a different relationship with that word. Mm. Easy said than done. Um, I mean, you're you're a mother, um, a wife, and you have, yeah, friends and colleagues and staff to manage 
So balance, I'm sure is not, no. No, Um, it's not a word that I'm familiar with, but some people seem to strive towards it, but the most high-performing people I've ever met threw it out the window. It just seems like a funny aspiration. Yeah, Mm. when people tell me, oh, you know, you need to have a better balance, I'm like, By whose standard, yeah. (laughs) Theoretically, I would love that, but in reality... Easy said than done. Yeah. yeah and, I, exactly. and, and I think that just reflects on like how I'm trying to manage my energy like that. That's the best I can do. <laughs> yeah. At any given moment. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. The person I most want to be proud of me is. Myself. I'm so glad you said that. As soon as I asked the question, I was like, come on. <laughs> I have just learned that. Yeah. It's sad, but it's so true. Like, I have just learned to realize that I should just do things to be proud of myself as to, you know, have or look for others to be proud of me. And at least, you know, especially because I'm from an immigrant family, everything was very results oriented. Um, Mm. And my mother, I really want to make my mother happy and proud. And I realized like she is proud of me. Um, but I need to be proud of myself. Yeah. 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 I'm so glad to hear it. I'm sure it's, um, it's, a for most people, I think even just having that on the radar is, is fantastic, but I'm sure there's a journey of, you know, cause high performing people is continuously some next hurdle to achieve or yeah, exactly. But being proud of at least the things that you have accomplished. Um, I think even if I stopped right now, and never achieved anything ever again. I've already surpassed my wildest dreams as a 15, 18 year old. <laughs> Probably never thought I'd do any of this. So, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just giving that person some credit. And so, the final question my gift to the next guest is enjoy this time. Enjoy this time sharing your story and um, interacting with you, Alex. Yeah, it's been a wonderful. I'm not a morning person, and I haven't. I'm just in such good spirits after having this, um, you know, time together with you. And um, yeah, sharing your story and hoping that your story will add value to someone else or give them like um, a, some sort of hope to for them to keep going. Yeah. And find solutions. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a trying time. Um, and it'll definitely be something that's memorable. Like we, we won't forget it. <laughs> um, but yes, enjoy it. Um, share your story and hopefully we can add value. Fantastic. Yeah. 2020 will be going down in the history books. That's for sure. But um, I absolutely feel like the things that you've shared today, they've had value for me (laughs) and I always do this podcast selfishly. So, you know, thank you. You've achieved, you know, your objective, but I completely believe that there's a, um, there are so many women out there who are either considering, do I leave a corporate career and, and try something new or they're already founders and they're thinking, okay, am I, am I doing this alone? What's my, what's my path? Or maybe they come from immigrant families and they're thinking, am I, is this just unique to me? And so many of the themes that you hit on and touched on, I think will, I know will resonate for, for other people. So it's um, a I do want to, 
I do want to cover one thing before we go. Please. Um, yeah. And it's, some, it's quite personal actually. And, but I, I really want, when you said immigrant, um, you know, for, or f I think I have wasted some time uh, in my own self-doubt and my insecurities. And one of the uh, questions I had that was lingering for actually on and off for a few years was, you know, was I dreaming too big? Mm. You know, was I like, how dare you to myself? You know, how dare you dream for something big when you had a nice life? Um, working in finance and having living in a developing country with like mm. a universal healthcare. <laughs> how dare you leave that? How dare you leave all that and pursue something and try to compete with multi-billion dollar companies? How dare mm. you? Um, and that was something that I had to overcome, uh, especially during this, you know, resurfaced uh, during COVID lockdown this year. And I have now come to accept that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take that risk. And I, I dared and took that yeah. leap of faith and other women out there who are from immigrant descent or from, you know, underprivileged social economically, they're, you know, they didn't have the same equal opportunities. Don't let that be, you know, don't hold that back. Don't let that hold you back. Yeah. Did you yeah. feel like you needed to be more grateful for the things that you did have in your hands and that that was, yeah, like why, how can you risk these things when your mom and your grandmother, you know, would have yearned for them so much, I'm sure. Yeah. Seems, and, yeah. And then we, my mother and I had these like really heated um, conversations about it because she, you know, she was like, we took that risk and we came to a foreign country. Like, why do you want to do the same? Um. It was really hard. Yeah. yeah. And then it was almost like, am I expecting too much of my life? Do I, am I being greedy? Mm. Like it's not just monetary greed, but like just life fulfillment, mm. um, ambition, determination. Yeah. Did she come to understand your choice then? A hundred percent. Yeah. She saw yeah. the, she saw the change in me. Yeah my my drive my passion and yeah I well that's I'm, so fortunate I mean it's good to know that she could be honest with you in those first moments to to express <laughs> her fear you know and her misunderstanding about like how could you reverse you know the decisions that we made to to get here um by going in the other direction <laughs> literally yeah. there's a physical journey to it but to know that she's come to understand and support you and and hopefully that was part of your journey as well as you said most importantly being proud of yourself um and daring i, I really like the boldness of just yeah if not you who else <laughs> exactly and so it might as I, well be you and I did talk to a, a Vietnamese American and, you know, I, a few, like a few months ago and I, I told her like what I was going through and she's like, that's what's holding me back. Mm. Thank you for sharing. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not the only like insecure person <laughs> out there. Um, You're definitely not. Trust me. <laughs> with self-doubt. So I was like, all right. Um, and then, so that's why I wanted to add that in the end. Like, sorry, yeah. I just remembered the whole, when you said immigrant, I was like, yes, I need to mention yeah. this because for all those, yeah, 
<laughs> well, let's add that as a gift. It's not just to the next guest, but to everybody out there. It's um, the gift of, of feeling like you can dare, dare to, dare to go wherever your um, instinct and your own, um, your own bravery takes you. Find the edges of your own bravery as opposed to having these limitations. It's, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, what a blessing to know that you have hit on something that had meaning for someone else. Like that's just such a lucky thing. I mean, it's, it's good for you to know it in yourself as well, but it's to know that you have impacted somebody else's thinking or decision or even just the way they weigh up their consideration, like so powerful. So (laughs) kudos to you. Thank you so much, Alex. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking and getting to know your story. Um, Yeah, and I hope this is the beginning of understanding the rest of the story, where it goes from here. (laughs) Yes, let's see how things unfold for all of us. Exactly. I know. All right, well, thank you. The real work wouldn't be possible without the contributions of our whole team here at Lantern Rouge. Production support is managed by Mark Hayes, and our beautiful music is brought to you by Artlist. That's it for now. See you at work.